This is the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and on Sunday, the Seahawks take on the Cincinnati Bengals. We're going into week one of the regular season and previewing this matchup with the Bengals. We have Anthony Casenza from the Orange and Black Insider Podcast at CincyJungle.com. Anthony, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm great, man. I'm fired up. It's it's week one of the NFL season, and you know football's here. I know. It, it seems like it's been forever, and I have to give your listeners a little insight as to... I said this on my show, but you saved my podcast this week because of your mentioning of a specific platform to you, so I want to thank you personally again, Brandon, for your suggestion of usage of software, uh, a specific piece of software. I appreciate it, and our listeners appreciate it, so thank you. That's what I'm most stoked about right now. <laughs> this podcasting game can be tough, and you know, you gotta, you gotta stick together and work through some of the challenges that we're faced with, yeah. and uh, so I'm happy to help you out. I'm glad you're able to come on and help us out by giving us some insight going into this game because I know for a lot of Seahawks fans, you know, we're, we're focused on our team in this offseason, and with it being week one, we don't really have a lot to go off of in terms of the Bengals because, you know, you guys hired a new coach in the offseason. There's been some injuries. You guys, have, you know, picked up some new players, obviously. There's so much turnover in the offseason. So what I'm curious about is, you know, what have you seen from your coach now in the preseason and are there any clues of how the Bengals offense and, and defense is really going to run going into the 2019 season? Well, you know, with, with Zach Taylor, he comes in with the pedigree of, you know, the the McVay, Sean McVay system, quarterback. Oh, gross. He's, he's one of the guys that knew McVay and got a job because of it. Okay. I know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. A little bit of nepotism there, but that's, (laughs) you know, sometimes that happens. It's kind of to be expected. It happens around the league, but he is a guy that is, is supposed to be a quarterback whisperer, former quarterback himself. He's going to use a lot of elements of the Sean McVay offense that they run with the Rams. And he's going to implement it with the Bengals and kind of put his own spin as well as potentially play to the strengths, mask some weaknesses of the personnel that they have. I think he's done, in the preseason, I mean, how much can you really see in the preseason? But sure. in the preseason, I think he's done a pretty good job, especially in the games that mattered, you know, games two, games three, games four. I, I think that's when you, you saw some marked improvement on offense. You saw some marked improvement from the team in general. And then as weeks three and four hit, he kind of preached some improvement on the penalty aspect and other things that were plaguing him in those first two preseason games. And what, what impressed me was that the team seemed to respond well to his challenges. He's not a yeller. He's not, you know, one of those in your face, Bill Cower type of guys, but he, he challenged the team and they responded. And for what little sample size that was, I was impressed at least on that standpoint. Well, I know one of the things that Sean McVay did when he came to the Rams, you know, he went out and he hired a veteran defensive coordinator like Wade Phillips. They really, the the Rams defense, it was expected to be a strength. They gave up a ton of points last year. But with Zach Taylor, did you see any of that coming into the season and how he approached the other side of the football? So this staff, at least from the the three coordinators and the head coaching position, Two of the coordinators and Zach Taylor are first times in there really at the NFL level as a full-time 
job are it's the first time they've been in that post so Zach Taylor's never been an NFL head coach he's never really been a head coach anywhere Brian Callahan the offensive coordinator son of Bill Callahan longtime NFL coach he is the offensive coordinator he's really aside from some spot stints he is in his first stint as an offensive coordinator and Lou Anarumo coming over from the Giants was a defensive coordinator in college years ago, but has never really been a a true long-term defensive coordinator in the NFL. So from that standpoint, there's a lot of inexperience. Zach Taylor, when he took this job, initially there were some rumors and or he showed interest like McVay in veteran defensive coordinators like Jack Del Rio, like Dom Capers, and nothing materialized there. To be quite honest with you, his the first start of his tenure was marked with quite a a bit of frustration in terms of putting together a coaching staff. He couldn't get into the job until later because his team was in the Super Bowl. So some of the other teams that had new coaches, they were able to jump into the fray about, you know, a month earlier than he was able to. So kind of behind the eight ball in a lot of ways. uh, But he finally found his guy on the defensive side of the ball in Anna Rumo. Not the strongest resume or pedigree in terms of a defensive coach, but I think he likes, he's comfortable with what Anarumo brings. And I think Anarumo is going to play to the strengths of the Cincinnati Bengals defense, which is their secondary and their defensive line. Their middle of the defense is yikes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that matches up with kind of the way the, the Rams are structured last year. But, you know, he, so Taylor does come into the Bengals job, at least with a veteran quarterback. And I'm curious how Bengals fans are feeling about Andy Dalton now that he's going into his ninth season with the Bengals. Well, it's either, I mean, they, they want to see the team tank and really, you know, get a high pick and get one of these Justin Herberts to a tag of Iloa or, you know, the, the kid from Clemson in a couple of years or, you know, whatever the case may be, they want a franchise quarterback. And I understand that sentiment because the Cincinnati Bengals do not operate like most other NFL franchises, they do not spend the same money. They don't use, they don't move up in the draft very often at all. Um, You know, there's a lot of organizational deficiencies that a franchise quarterback, a generational talent could potentially mask. You know, it's been a while since they've kind of had one of those guys. You could argue Carson Palmer was one of those guys, especially early in his career. Dalton though has broken. He's had a couple of seasons. He has broken franchise records set by Palmer and others in terms of passing yards, passing touchdowns. So he's had the years where go, Oh, there it is. There he is. He's, you know, there's your top 10 type of guy, but what the national perspective is, and rightfully so, is they see these national spotlight games where he and the rest of the team stumble, especially against premier teams. So that's kind of the – that's why the perception is nationally what it is about Andy Dalton. Um, I think from a standpoint in in terms of a human being, he's an awesome guy. He does a lot for the community, and he's just a great teammate. Um, He has just enough talent to kind of – tease you um and and you know he's gotten him to the playoffs and and may you know won some big games but i I think for now uh, the plan is the team's going to use him as maybe a bridge guy for the next one or two years what's remaining on his contract if he ends up playing very well maybe they'll give him a new contract under you know under zach taylor but i think it's a bridge type of scenario most of the fan base wants to see the team tank to get a high-level quarterback in the draft. 
I think the Bengals do not want to tank. I think they want to still try and remain competitive, see what they can get out of Dalton. And then if it's still the same, you know, seven, eight, nine wins or one and dones in the playoffs, they'll move on. Well, it does feel with Andy Dalton that if, as long as he's in there, if you wanted to tank, he's a guy that you'd tank that you take out of the of the starting spot because, yeah. like you said, he's he's been in that seven, eight, nine win range throughout his career, and to get one of those top quarterbacks, you want to do worse than that. But you know, the the head coach going into his first season is not going to want to tank. But uh, we've seen other teams have struggle in their first seasons too. So and other rookie coaches, but. Uh, one of the reasons why they could struggle in the season is that you're missing your top wide receiver, your top draft pick, Jonah Williams. He's also out. Uh, if you had to pick one of those guys to be healthy for this game against the Seahawks, which one would you pick? Ooh. Uh, that is a really tough question. Um, I think from an overall team perspective, in terms of team performance, I think I, I may have to say Jonah Williams. And even though he's an un- unproven guy, um, th- this, this offensive line is pretty weak. And really his being out of, of the lineup has impacted multiple positions on the offensive line. So, um, you know, him being out affects the left tackle position, which they were going to move last year's left tackle to left guard. So now he's back at left. Cordy Glenn is back at left tackle. So it, they've kind of had to get real creative uh, on a lot of different fronts. And uh, so I think just being that that position group is much weaker than the Bengals wide receiver group outside of AJ Green, I, I'd say Jonah Williams. But if you've seen any Bengals games, you would know Andy Dalton plays much, much better when AJ Green is in the in the lineup, he play he just AJ Green is one of those transcendent talents at the position. Uh, unfortunately, he's had a couple of injuries the past couple of seasons, but really a Hall of Fame caliber player. And um, you know, Andy Dalton's a different quarterback. So I mean, you can really flip a coin and say either of them. But I guess just from the lack of depth that the Bengals have on the offensive line and especially at offensive tackle, I would say Jonah Williams. Well, it really excites me to hear you say that as an answer as a Seahawks fan because uh, you saw in the news, I know because we talked about it on your show this week, uh, that the Seahawks picked up Jadavian Clowney via trade with the Texans. And I have to wonder, as a Bengals fan, just you know, trying to get into week that week one game against the Seahawks, you see some of the roster cuts, you look at the defensive line and you think, oh, well, you know, Jaron Reed's going to be out. Maybe they don't have a whole lot of pieces that you're necessarily worried about on the defensive line. And then the Seahawks, they go and they make that trade for Clowney. How did you react as a Bengals fan? Uh, just kind of, uh, you know, hand to the forehead, you know, just uh, <laughs> head and hands and just, oh boy, shaking your head. You know, I, I said this on my show, that's a move like that for Clowney really shows the difference in organizational motivations, I guess, between the Seahawks and the Bengals and the way they operate, the aggressive nature. Um, the Bengals are very risk adverse in terms of um, making significant moves. They are known as one of the cheaper franchises in terms of paying big contracts, especially on the guaranteed money front. Um, they don't it, really last year, their, their trade for Cordy Glenn, which kind of altered the draft positioning a little bit. That was known as a really significant trade, and he's kind of an average left tackle by NFL standards. So, uh, to to that point, I, I just I think it 
shows a, a great willingness to win by the Seattle Seahawks. They know they've got some deficiencies because of Jaron Reed's suspension and whatnot. They go and make this significant move um, that I think is going to really not only boost them throughout the season, but really affect this week one matchup. Um, so I, I think a lot of Bengals fans were very exasperated, I guess, <laughs> to see to see that that move being made. But good move by the Seahawks. Yes, we're we're really happy about it because really going into this game, the the one of the big questions was about the pass rush, and I think Seahawks fans were looking at it and saying, "Well, the the Bengals they've they seem to be having some problems on the offensive line. We could probably survive that game without a significant pass rush, and you know, as long as the Seahawks can focus on stopping the run, you know, with Bernard with Bernard with Mixon." And when with AJ Green also being out too, so there's um, there were a lot of injury factors that the Seahawks that us Seahawks fans were looking at going into this game. How about the the running game for the Bengals? Is that where would you say the biggest strength is for the team going into Week One? Aside from uh, you, you did mention the the secondary um, for for the Bengals as well. Yeah, so I mean, I, I would say the biggest, uh, the secondary, the defensive line are, are very strong groups, as is the running back group. I mean, you can really go now. You've got Joe Mixon, who led the AFC in rushing. Not many people know that. Um, it, it's, or at least it seems that not many people know that just because the Bengals weren't very good, kind of smaller market team, that sort of thing. He led the league in rushing last year, or the AFC in rushing, rather. Um, you've got Gio Bernard, who's kind of a triple th- threat guy, receiver, rusher, can pass block a little bit. Um, and then you've got they, – they added Samaje uh, Pirine from, from the Redskins off of waivers. He's kind of the, the bowling ball type of guy. And then they have a, a sixth-round rookie that they like in Travion Williams as well. So um, they've got a lot of talent at that position. Zach Taylor has said he wants to commit to running the football. If you – I'm sure you know the Rams like to run the football. They like to set up play action, and then that sets up some big plays for the quarterback. They want to have that be a staple. They want to run, um, you know, those – those runs that are on the outside, those those zone block type of schemes that opens things up on the outside. The thing that makes me most excited about the run game, quite literally, it's not the blocking, it's not the offensive lineman, it's Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon is a guy, if you watch him, he has, last year the blocking was pretty poor, especially through the first half of the season. It got better late. But um, through the first half of the season, there are on multiple of his big runs that you see in highlights, there are guys already at him when he's getting the handoff, and he makes quite a bit of something out of nothing quite often. He's a better receiver out of the backfield than a lot of people give him credit for. So um, to me, I think as long as Mixon stays healthy, it sounds like it's going to be a system that is very similar to what was run in Oklahoma in which he was very successful. Uh, A lot of the same concepts and schemes there. So, uh, you know, if that all holds up, Mixon stays healthy, that is what I'm excited about with the running game, just his ability and really his potential of becoming a star in this league. Well, it's the least exciting thing for me because I'm a, I'm a University of Oklahoma grad. So here you have Mixon, you know, as it was a bummer to see Anderson uh, go down with an ACL injury. Uh, you guys drafted him, and then you bring in Pirine, and I'm going, gosh, how many Oklahoma running backs does this team have to collect? 
Yep. And uh, obviously they they like they're all talented, obviously, but they like the fact they like how they run. A lot of them are the one cut go guys. They like the, the and all of them really. I mean, P Ryan's not really known as a speed guy, but Anderson can run can run well when he's healthy. He's he's pretty quick for his size. Mixon is pretty quick for his size. So yeah. They like those guys, and they like what their system they're going to implement. They like what they can do, what those backs will be able to do in that system. Yeah, Anderson was one of those guys I was lobbying for the Seahawks to to try and pick in the offseason because you knew he was going to slip down with the injury coming out of college, and uh, it's such a bummer for him to get injured again. But uh, Who are some of the breakout players that you expect from the Bengals this year? Uh, I guess if if we want to start on offense, uh, I will say a guy that – has been mostly a return man in his in his short career with the Bengals. I'm going to say Alex Erickson. The Bengals brought in Farrell Cooper, a guy that is primarily a kick return specialist. They brought him in yeah, off of waivers. By the way, hey, you don't have to mention that to Seahawks fans. Farrell Cooper has been tearing up the Seahawks whenever he was on special teams for the Rams. So every Seahawks fan, they know Farrell Cooper. <laughs> they know Farrell Cooper. Okay. Um, so he will probably be returning kicks to your... Probably. <laughs> ever. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He'll probably be returning kicks this week. Well... Alex Erickson um, has had a pretty good career returning punts and kicks. Uh, he was one of the top guys as a rookie a few years ago. He's been pretty steady since. But there are some offseason rumors that Zach Taylor maybe wanted to have a bigger role for him. I think that the Pharaoh Cooper acquisition allows Erickson to do more on offense. I think with A.J. Green out these first couple of games, he's probably going to be a slot guy, maybe a second or third option at times. So I think he's a guy that, you know, again, not a perennial 100-yard receiver guy, but can move the sticks, he'll make the catches, and, uh, you know, kind of do the dirty work in the middle of the field. I would love to say John Ross. I I would love to say that. I think a lot of Bengals fans would love to say that, but – he didn't play at all this preseason. Another hamstring injury. Zach Taylor apparently has big plans for him. We'll see. I, I, we would have liked to have seen him in the preseason in the Zach Taylor offense. So maybe he's a guy you can look at. And another guy on defense, I'm going to say Carl Lawson, the edge rusher. Uh, had a pretty good rookie year with about eight sacks. Last year, looked to break out. He didn't get the sack numbers, but had an immense amount of pressures, then tore his knee about six games into the season. So he was out on IR. He had, in very limited opportunities, had a very good preseason, and he is probably going to be a a force off the edge, albeit one that's maybe a little bit, still a little bit of a niche pass rusher, but a guy that I think will have a big impact on defense. Anthony Casenza from the Orange and Black Insider Podcast. We're going to take a quick break, come back, and we're going to get some predictions going into week one of the season. Joined by Anthony Casenza of the Orange and Black Insider Podcast from CincyJungle.com. And we're going into week one of the regular season. One of the things we did this week, we saw our team's rosters cut down from 90-man to 53-man roster. Was there any big surprises for Bengals fans going into week one? Not huge. Uh, you know, I think I think the fact that the team placed two subsequent waiver claims and got two new players, that's kind of a, you know, that, that's a big 
big move in itself. Uh, you know, after you think the roster settled, you all of a sudden have to shove off two new guys, uh, you know, two guys you just put on the roster. So um, I think from that standpoint, that was kind of a surprise. Although a lot of people thought they would at least get one guy off of waivers. This roster still seems to be in flux and Taylor wants to continue to tinker with it. Um, you know, there are a couple of, of wide receiver battles that were interesting, um, but not really the the veteran cap casualty, a guy who was set to really start and was cast off. It's more role player guys, special teams guys. Again, the Bengals aren't really big players in outside free agency, so they don't keep a lot of those ballooning contracts from players that maybe aren't pulling their weight. Um, and, you know, there, there are pluses and minuses with that. But uh, to, that, to that point, there are just not a lot of, you know, starters or fringe starters that were cut one thing i didn't realize anthony until this week i noticed that the bengals are two and oh against pete carroll as the head coach of the seahawks and russell wilson lost in overtime in 2015 after being up 24 to 7 in the fourth quarter i you know what i i saw that score and i was i was trying to think of how could i forget that because being up 24 to 7 i must have been really frustrated by the fact that they (laughs) gave up that lead yeah, that game was insane. That was the one where the, the Bengals kicker at the time, Mike Nugent, he uh, he kicked – they ran out of timeouts. He kicked the game-tying field goal. Then they go to overtime. And then at in the overtime, he kicks it. It hits off the upright and in and, and wins it. That, yeah, that game was crazy. Oh, that um, must have been the one where um, Neil deGrasse Tyson said that it was due to the rotation of the earth that the field goal actually <laughs> yeah, actually yeah, made yeah. it through the uprights in that game. I, I think yeah. I do remember that. So, yeah. so now – Russell Wilson is 0-1 against the Bengals. The Bengals are one team that, one of the few teams that he hasn't beaten yet in his career. The last time the Bengals played in CenturyLink was 2011. You know, Hugh Jackson was the coach. So, you know, he's coached the Bengals uh, through two wins against the Seahawks and Pete Carroll. But now you go and get rid of them. So I have to expect it's going to mean bad things for this game. I'll be conservative with my words here and i will say that i don't think a lot of Bengals fans are very confident this week um i think they know that this is a hostile environment i think they know that this is a team in major transition major upheaval even though some of the veteran mainstays are there so not a not a very high confidence level going into this week from our side of the fence do you have an overall prediction for the game you know i think it'll be closer than the Many people predict. I do think the Seahawks win, unfortunately, because I'm making the trip up to the game. But, um, I, you know, I, I do think the the Seahawks win. I think it'll probably what I kind of predicted is maybe a, a 30 to 20 type of score where maybe it's a little closer than Seahawks fans would like in the third quarter, fourth quarter. But then, you know, Russell Wilson does his thing and maybe pulls off a later touchdown and and the Seahawks kind of take control with a handful of minutes left type of thing. Um, That's kind of how I see it. Again, this is a Bengals team that needs to take baby steps right now under all this brand new coaching staff. I think that this Bengals team will struggle early, even though this isn't an easy game, but they do have San Francisco the next week at home. They play Buffalo. That's a team that, you know, comes with mixed reviews. They could get, you know, 
make some noise early, but I think they're going to struggle personally. And then they're going to kind of catch momentum once everybody gets their feet under them, once people get acclimated to the system. So I think the Seahawks really are, are not only catching them at the right time, but I think the Seahawks are catching them in the right venue because the Bengals don't really travel well when they come all the way out West either. So to that point, I think it'll be competitive, but I think the Seahawks will get, will be in pretty well control as the game gets towards the end. Well, Seattle usually does start off slow in the first and second quarter. They try to finish strong. But I appreciate you, Anthony, as a fan, making the trip to try and to try and jinx the team uh, in week one. That's that's really important to me because it's I, they've actually done really well. I'm also going to this game, and they've done really well in the home openers that I've gone to. So I, it, I feel like you and I together have solidified the outcome in this game. So that's really nice to hear. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully, by the way, side note, hopefully we can meet up and, and say hello. But yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I, I joked on my show that I did not have I do not have the greatest track record of when I attend Bengals games in person. I, I live in Southern California, so I don't get to go to a lot of the home games or anything like that. In fact, some of the only times I've been to Cincinnati has really been for Bengals games. So. I don't have the greatest track record when it comes to wins and losses for the Cincinnati Bengals when I go see a game in person. So I might be the the Seattle good luck charm for you guys, the fact that I'm coming to the game. Now, if you could be a bad luck charm and go to a lot of Rams games for them for some reason, that would that would be appreciated <laughs> for, for us going into the season. But I am kind of curious, though, how you feel about the Bengals as a whole in that division because it feels like the Steelers are coming down a little bit. You kind of – the the Ravens – you know, they're kind of, they've been more of a middle of the road team. The Browns are on the way up. How are you feeling about your division this season? Who do you think is going to come out on top? Yeah. You know, that it's, it is known as one of the toughest, I think it's probably the second or third toughest division, if not the toughest, depending on the year division in football. They play physical football. All four teams play in the outdoors in terrible weather. Um, You know, so I think there's a lot of history between those teams, a lot of hatred between those teams. So I, I think it's a very competitive division. At times it can be very ugly football, particularly when the Steelers and Ravens play each other. Um, so, you know, I, I don't, I actually don't see a, t- a lot of people are saying, oh, the Bengals will be three and 13 and the Browns will go 13 and three. I don't really see that disparity. Um, I, I kind of see, you know, the Ravens and the Steelers because of who they are as organizations. They are very well run. They know how to lose marquee players and still remain competitive. Uh, so I, I think they'll probably be both nine and seven or so. The Bengals will probably, I said, they'll probably be seven win range. Maybe ceiling is nine wins. I don't really see that happening, but probably more seven to eight wins this year for the Bengals. And then the Browns, I can see maybe maybe going 10 and six. I don't think the Browns are world beaters personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they've got a lot of talent, but they also have a lot of ego. And if things don't go well early or at a critical point in the season, that thing could unravel really quickly. They also don't have the history of success like a Baltimore, like a Pittsburgh, like a Seattle. So uh, how, how are they going to handle success if they get it? Um, I'm just not all in on the Browns as much of the NFL is, even though they have amassed a lot of talent really over the past offseason or two. So, um, you know, I, I think it's actually a pretty competitive division. The Bengals probably are at the bottom looking up, but I don't, I don't think it's really by that much. I think that that's going to be a pretty even scrum this year in that, in that division. 
Well, it's going to be interesting because that's the division that the Seahawks play throughout the season, and yeah, maybe that could make the the schedule tough for us. But some going to be some entertaining games to watch for sure going into the season. Anthony, really want to thank you for coming on the show. If some Seahawks fans want to tell their Bengals fan friends about the show, where do they go to find you? Oh, I'm sure there's a ton of Seahawks fans that have Bengals fans, oh, of right? Of course. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm on Twitter at CJ Anthony CUI. All of our stuff is on CincyJungle.com, which is part of the SB Nation network. Our podcast, The Orange and Black Insider, is part of the SB Nation uh, family of, of podcasts, as I believe this, this show is as well. So um, you can find us on a lot of different things. And then Brandon was kind enough to join us on our program as well. So uh, at least check out our podcast this week to hear Brandon's beautiful voice and uh seahawks insight and uh we we appreciate him coming on our show and i appreciate you having me on this one yeah definitely seahawks fans gotta go check that yeah they they gotta see if i represented our team well uh against uh, against you you guys on that show so check that show out as well anthony thanks again for coming on thank you thanks once again to anthony for coming on the show breaking down the matchup against the bengals and as we get closer to sunday's matchup against the bengals Be sure you're checking out fieldgoals.com. And there's even some Seahawks-related content from the Packers' 10-3 win over the Chicago Bears in the Thursday night opener. Check that out as it was Jimmy Graham getting the first touchdown of the NFL's 100th season. Some big news on the injury front as DK Metcalf sounds like he's ready to play in Week 1, saying that he's 100%. So DK Metcalf, potentially some Wolverine-like healing powers. And if you're into looking ahead to potential 2021 compensatory picks, Kenneth Arthur has an article looking toward the fact that the Seahawks have a lot of guys who are going to be free agents in the 2020 season and potentially in demand as Ziggy Anza and Jadavian Clowney likely to bring some top comp picks along with the fact that Jermaine Effetti could get a big contract offer from another team. So check that out, all that and more as we lead into Sunday's matchup against the Cincinnati Bengals. If you want to support this show as well as the Seahawkers podcast, you can go to getintheflock.com, become a member of the flock, and we will give you a shout out on the next episode of the Seahawkers podcast. Looking forward to coming back here after the game on Sunday and talking about what we all hope is a big win to start the 2019 season. 